Greetings and welcome to The House Podcast. My name is Michael and I'm so glad that you're here listening with us. The House Podcast shares the message each week from our local gathering in Central Ohio, which is a gathering of those practicing or interested in practicing the way of Jesus together in our city. In addition to the message given each week by the speaker, we also occasionally will share bonus content, such as interviews with speakers, more in-depth discussion around certain topics, and practical exercises that can help you grow as an apprentice of Jesus. The House Podcast is part of the VIA Podcast Network, which is a larger network of podcasts, all designed to help you and your community live out the way of Jesus in your context. For more information about The House or VIA, you can find us at theviacollective.com. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at thehouse.gathering. If you would like to contribute to The House financially, you can also do that at theviacollective.com. We're so glad you're here with us today, and may you be blessed by this week's message. All right, I think we are going to get started this evening. Uh, My name is Zach Henderson, and I'll be uh, talking with you guys here. So um, let's uh, start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, um, I just ask that you would um, open us up to your presence tonight um, and that we would still ourselves before you um, and be aware of what you're doing in us and around us. Um, That you would just guide us to, uh, to where you want us to focus this evening, Lord. I pray these things in your name. Amen. So, for those of you that are, um, uh, have been here before, you know that we are in a series on uh, silence and solitude, which Michael kicked off last week, and he's given us this definition here, uh, working definition, intentional time in the quiet to be alone with ourselves and with God. Um, if you don't like that definition, um, right before I left tonight, literally, uh, my wife gave my two young children kazoos, so just think of it as the opposite of what she's experiencing right now. Um, But so, yeah, so we're going to continue that series in silence and solitude, and I just want to start tonight by talking about kind of why I'm the wrong person to really be talking about this, just immediately destroy all credibility I have with you guys. Um, So I'll do that by just kind of sharing some stories about myself to give you a little bit of a picture of me. Um, We'll start, we'll go way back to elementary-aged me. Uh, If you can picture me in voice therapy, uh, my parents were concerned because I was talking so loudly all the time um, that I was regularly driving myself to be hoarse so I couldn't speak. So they thought I needed to go to voice therapy to learn to control my volume. And so I'm in voice therapy blowing on a candle like this, bending the flame horizontally, but not blowing it out like some kind of weird birthday routine to learn to control my volume. So that that was me at a young age, uh, having a hard time controlling to talk right. And then you think, well, that was just young Zach, but he's surely grown out of that. Um, But in my very real and current job, I uh, talk on the phone a lot, and I work in an open office environment. And so uh, a couple of years ago, my colleagues moved me to my own section of the office because I was talking so loudly, I was disturbing everyone else on their phones. So I kind of have my own section of the office, so I still talk too loud. And you say, well, Zach, that's not really what we're talking about with silence and solitude, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. So I've got all kinds of issues, like... um, So my wife has always said the most successful gift she's ever given me was a pair of uh, Bluetooth headphones because 
Um, that way I can, at any down moment when I'm, um, you know, doing the dishes, mowing the lawn, anything like that, mindless activity, I can be listening to an audiobook or a podcast so I don't have this wasted time. Um, and so I'm always using those, so I'm filling my life with activity and, and, and noise. And um, the, just another example here, recently I was stranded on the side of the highway and my phone was on about 5% battery. And so my initial reaction was to be more concerned, like I had to make calls to get a tow truck there, to get somebody to come pick me up, to let my wife know what was going on. And I was more concerned that I was going to be stuck on the side of the road for a couple of hours without the ability to fill this wasted time, right, with a podcast or an audiobook or something than I was about actually making these calls so I wasn't just permanently stuck there. That's, that's kind of who I am. Do you kind of get this picture of somebody who's constantly filling his life with noise and activity? So the point of sharing this is not to say that, um, I mean, it is to say, like, maybe I'm the wrong person to talk about it, but I want you to actually get this idea that this doesn't come naturally to me. And I think that's maybe actually what makes me well-suited to talk about it tonight, because if when Michael started talking about silence and solitude last week, your mind immediately went to, I can't do that. That's not who I am. That's not my personality. I, think you hope, I hope you know you're not alone, because this does not come naturally to me either. So I have a very long, long way to still go on this journey, but my path on this silence and solitude quest, or whatever you want to call it, um, started about a year and a half ago. I told my wife that um, I felt like I kept running into this idea of needing to slow down um, and, and to make space in my life. And she said, well, maybe God is preparing you for something. He's guiding you towards something. And it turns out she was quite right because that was in about January and February of 2020, right before the ultimate forced life slowdown of the pandemic in March that kind of kicked everything off to go home and do nothing. So I was uh, <laughs> right there ready for it. So um, since that time, I've been kind of gradually trying to practice and build some of these things into my life. Um, and I can tell you without question, it's not been a straight line towards success. It's not like just an upward journey towards getting better at this. It's been very up and down, um, lots of failures. Um, and I definitely have a lot of improvement I can do. Um, but I am making improvements and those improvements are making a difference in my life. So what I really want to do tonight is kind of share with you what I've been kind of working through for this past year and a half, some of the things I've been ruminating on and implementing in my life, and I hope that maybe that'll offer you some, um, you know, some shared insights. So Michael kind of set us up last week again with this definition and what we're headed with silence and solitude. My goal this week is just for us to talk about taking that first step of silence and solitude. How do we make space in our lives to even be intentional in our time and quiet alone with ourselves and with God, right? How do we make space for that in our busy lives? So um, we're going to start with scripture, Luke 14, 16 through 24. The passage will be up here, but you're uh, welcome to open your, script, uh, your Bible if you have it. Um, this is Jesus telling a parable, and he says, but he said to him, a man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many, and at the dinner hour he sent his slaves to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have uh, bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have married a wife and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to the master and the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And the slave uh, said, master, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. 
And the master said to the slaves, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my dinner. Um, so what I want to talk about, start with tonight, is excuses. I think we've all used excuses. We've all heard some good excuses. I would wager probably about half of you or more in this room have used an excuse in the last 24 hours for something. Um, I've mentioned before, if you've been here before, my wife is a teacher, so I thought, what better place to get excuses? I asked her, give me some of your best excuses. She did under the caveat that if she does teach local, but these are all excuses from students she taught at in a different district far away, and all these students are grown, so these are no one you know. She wanted me to make sure I made that caveat. But here are some of the excuses she's gotten, real-life excuses she's been given. Uh, I left my book in the back of my pickup truck, and it rained last night, so the book was ruined. Um, I had so many chores to do last night, I was tired afterwards, and I needed time to watch TV and relax. Couldn't get my homework done. Uh, spilled Starbucks all over my homework, and I need a new copy, so I can't get the one you gave me done. This is a twist on a classic. I was babysitting my little brother, and my little brother ate it. Um, this is my wife's personal favorite. I lost my homework fighting another kid who said, you weren't the best teacher ever. So... This one, I think, is just a flat-out lie for any high school student. Uh, I had to go to bed at 9 p.m., and I didn't have time to get it done. There's no way, right? Uh, my personal favorite, the preemptive strike. I'm not going to be able to get my homework done because my family's going out to dinner, so I won't have time to do it tonight. So just expect it to not be done. So we've all heard some pretty lame excuses for things, um, and, and these are certainly some good ones. But uh, I have to be honest, I think from the passage tonight, a lot of these excuses are very legitimate excuses. To sort of bring them into a modern context, I, this is kind of how I posed some of them. Um, I just bought a new house, and I'm supposed to meet someone there to do the inspection so I don't have time to come to your dinner party. Um, we have this new piece of equipment at work that needs set up. People are counting on me to get it taken care of. I really need to get it taken care of. I can't come to your dinner party. Or this one's just straightforward. I just got married. Is anybody in here newlyweds? Anybody? No? But imagine if you like if you got married and you walk into the reception and they've just announced you and I came up and I was like, listen, tomorrow I've got this dinner party you should come to. And you'd be like, uh, kind of going on a honeymoon. And then I got offended that you weren't coming to my party. You'd be like, what's wrong with you? Like, These are good reasons not to come to a dinner. But here's the reality of this parable. The host declares that the dinner is going to happen whether any of the invited guests come or not. So they're either a part of it or they're going to miss out. doesn't matter if the excuse is a good one or a bad one. This dinner is happening. Now, with all of Jesus' parables, they work, you know, this one works on multiple levels. And there's another aspect of this one we'll touch on very briefly later tonight. Um, but a pretty basic understanding of this passage is understanding the dinner as the kingdom of God. And it's easy to hear that phrase, kingdom of God, and your mind goes to a physical place. You're thinking heaven. Um, but the kingdom of God is not talking about a physical location. It's talking about the reign of God. And the reign of God is both now and yet to come. So it's not just about some future ideal that we are yearning for. It's here. It's here tonight. It's in Newark. It's in Granville. It's in your bedroom. It's in your school. It's at your place of work. It's on Instagram. It is everywhere. And so if we understand it that way, the questions you have to ask yourself tonight about the parable are, are you making time to notice and participate in the kingdom of God, or do you have excuses? And then the second one, what is causing you to miss out if you have excuses? So I know Michael talked about last week this example of Jesus in Scripture as an, you know, not a hurried 
person. Um, He's not in a rush because to participate in the kingdom of God and to hold communion with God requires us to be present to the current moment, not to be rushed, not to be multitasking, not to be listening to podcasts while stranded on the side of the road, right? We absolutely have to find a way to make space in our lives. Um, A lot of this, um, in his book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, uh, John Mark Comer talks about all of these concepts we're going to talk about tonight and probably in the coming weeks. Um, But he suggests something really important in there. He says, the solution to this problem is not more time. I think that's where our mind goes. Man, if I only had 30 hours in the day or if I only had to sleep for two hours and I could be awake the rest of it, I could get so much more done. But he points out this reality, and I think he's correct. We would just fill that time with other stuff. I have this problem all the time. I have it on both a large scale and a small scale. So on a large scale, I told my wife one year in January, I think we can finish the basement and make it look nice and make it a usable space. I think we can have that done by March. I was correct. We did have it done by March. It just took a year and a half. It was the following March before we got it done. Um, But even on a small scale, right, I have to be somewhere in an hour and I come up with this list. Okay, I can get some things done in this hour I have before I have to be somewhere. I come up with a list. This This is what I can accomplish in an hour. Obviously, that list will inevitably take me two hours, so I end up with a half-finished list, and then I'm still late to where I was going, so I ruin both things. And so maybe you're like me, right? You love to-do lists, and and you make to-do lists, and you put things you've already done on your to-do list so you can cross them off and feel good about yourself. I know Michael has told me the first item on every to-do list is make to-do lists so you get momentum just to get going. Like, maybe that's you, right? You're a driven go-getter. You got a life full of of to-dos, right? But you can also be in the opposite space and still have the same problem. Maybe you're not overly busy. You don't have a lot of things on your agenda. You're very relaxed and you think, oh, this doesn't apply to me. But actually, a lot of people in that scenario are also just filling their time with stuff. Netflix, Instagram, Twitter, podcast, shopping, whatever, right? Either way, you end up with this problem where you're kind of in the the American bigger house problem, right? Americans get to this place where they're like, oh man, I feel so cramped in this house. Um, Everything's, you know, kind of crammed into every nook and cranny. I got to get a bigger house. So they buy a bigger house and then they get in the bigger house and they've got three empty rooms and they're like, man, man, I need to decorate these rooms. So I need to get a bed. I need to get a desk and some artwork and all these things. And a couple of years down the road, they realize, man, this house is so full of all this stuff. I need to get a bigger house and I need to get a storage unit, right? So we find a way to fill the space we have. And so either way you're coming at this, um, the solution to that problem is not more time because we will fill it. The solution is paring back. The solution is cutting out. The solution is saying no. The solution is slowing down. And so we have to find a way to be intentional about carving out space in our life and time to just be, to reflect, to meditate, to pray, to walk in nature. One of my greatest joys in life right now is um, I get to walk my daughter to kindergarten every single day. Um, It's just a lot of fun time we get to spend together. And so um, the other day we were walking to school and um, for reasons I just explained, we were running a few minutes late. I tried to do too much in a short amount of time, so I'm trying to get her to hurry along. And she literally just comes to an abrupt stop and she bends over in front of this person's house and just starts smelling all of the flowers in their garden. And my immediate reaction is to tell her, hurry up, we got to go, we got to get to school. And then, of course, the cliche comes to mind. She's literally stopping to smell the flowers. And I think, okay, well, she probably has the right of it here, right? This is going to be more important than making it to school on time. So our first step is to slow down. And make no mistake, for most of us, this is going to be hard. 
incredibly hard. Um, it was and continues to be, for me, a challenge every day because we are addicted to filling our empty houses. We love to be on the go. We love to have activity and to be stimulated. And all of our technology that was meant to make life easier and to free us up with more time has just really enabled us to fill our time all the more. And find, we find ourselves as busy as ever. And it's so saturated in our culture um, that I am already seeing the effects of it in my young children. Um, so I just talked about uh, one version of my daughter, right? The daughter who stops to smell the flowers. Um, but I also see in her and in my son just this need to fill every second of every day. And they don't know what it means to not be stimulated. They don't know what it means to be bored and have nothing to do. Um, and this is nowhere more apparent to me than when it's time for bed. I don't know if anybody has young kids. You can definitely identify with bedtime. If we want to talk about excuses, this is where you'll get all of them. So suddenly we're going to bed and we need to use the restroom. We need to get another drink of water. And even though I was so full at dinner that I couldn't eat another bite just a couple of hours ago, now I am so hungry I will not go to bed unless I can eat five things. Um, my two-year-old son has figured out cuteness is a very important factor in getting to stay up later and continue to not sleep. And so he asks for, but daddy, I just wanted to talk to you for one more minute, please, just one more minute. So I have to set a timer and say, I will give you one minute that we can talk and we get to talk for one more minute before he has to, and this is the key, lay still and quiet. My wife makes fun of me for this, for me, makes fun of me for this all the time, but I um, I do not say bedtime anymore, I do not say go to sleep, I do not say close your eyes, all of these things accomplish nothing and they just set them off, but still and quiet, right? If I can get my kids to not be stimulated and to not talk and just lay still and quiet for even just a couple of minutes, they will fall asleep like that because it's what their body needs so much is sleep and all they have to do is lay still and quiet. I just wonder, like, aren't we the same way, just on a larger scale, right? Just incapable of being still and quiet, and we just fill our life uh, with just one more minute of talking. But here's the thing. Even if you're doing this right, even if you're carving out time to slow down, you either are or you're about to feel pressure from the culture around you. Um, you need to realize that our culture does not want us to slow down. Especially in America, the message we swim in every day is work hard, do more, push harder, sleep less, do a side hustle, be successful, make lots of money, have time to do it all, be beautiful and fit, travel and see the world, launch your own company that's going to revolutionize the world and make you rich beyond your wildest dreams, have a perfect family and a picture-perfect house, read a book every day, cook and eat nutritious and blog-worthy meals, champion every worthy cause, and be sure to slap all of that on Instagram so everyone knows how awesome you are. And you've got time for all of that, right? Tanache, do you remember we had a conversation right after you got to America? It was Tanache had been here a couple of months, living here a couple of months, and I asked you what was the biggest difference culturally you noticed between Africa and America. Do you remember what you said? What'd you say? Yeah, the pace. Yeah. Yeah. He was telling me, yeah, I got here and everyone I meet is on the go, in a hurry, has to be somewhere. No one has time to slow down and do anything, to meet someone else. Just this constant pace of on the go. Our culture does not want us to have limits. We are told that we are meant to have it all. And so if you do start down this journey 
of a slower life, be prepared for pushback. Be prepared to be considered lazy. And you're going to get this from both sides, okay? So from the driven side, from the, the whatever you want to call the corporate side, you're going to be called lazy. You're going to say you don't have a drive. Um, older generations are going to label, regardless of, of what generation you actually are, going to call you a millennial because that's just what we call youngish people who don't do what we think they should do. Millennial. I say that as a millennial. Um, so that's that, you're going to get that pushback from that side. But then you think, well, I'll just, I'll go find the people that are also, you know, living a life maybe more carefree, but you're going to get the opposite in that direction, right? It's called FOMO, the fear of missing out. You're missing the best TV shows. You're not traveling enough. You're not trying enough different restaurants. You need to experience more. And so no matter which way you go, our culture says, go. And so the question that Dan and Michael posed to me as we were prepping for tonight, I'll just toss back to all of you, is why? Right? You might agree that our culture says this is how we need to live is a busy life. And you might agree that, man, this is not how we're built and we need to pull back from that. But why can I not do it? Why is it so hard to move away from that? Why do I keep buying into this lie? And so it might be that we've internalized accomplishments and experience as part of our identity. It might be that, like my children, you're afraid of what waits for you on the other side if you do take time in the still and quiet, and so you don't want to find out. It's going to be uh, a conversation worth having. It's something we don't have time to get into tonight. It'd be a whole other discussion to have, but I would suggest a good place to start would be in the quiet. Ask this question of God. Ask this question of yourself. Why is it so hard to pull back from the business that our culture says we should have? And so this brings me back to the parable, right? This dinner is happening. And it's not a question of whether it's right or wrong to work hard, to chase a promotion or be successful, to attain any or all of those things, right? I'm not talking about whether those things are morally correct. It's just a reality that we are limited human beings with limited time, and we are going to miss things. And if you're not missing out on what the world has to offer, you might be missing out on what the kingdom has to offer. And so when you miss out on the, inc uh, the kingdom, what is the impact, right? It's going to impact three things that I'm pulling out tonight quickly. You, other people, and the kingdom itself. When you miss out on the kingdom, it's going to impact you directly, right? It's absolutely no coincidence that in our culture of hurry, mental health issues are skyrocketing. Now, I'm not saying that busyness is the sole cause of this, but I guarantee you it is absolutely a contributing factor that is making things worse. Our inability to slow down impacts us. We're not meant to live this way. So the more that you FOMO, fear of missing things, the more likely you are to be anxious and not at peace. So slowing down not only lets us off this sort of never-ending treadmill that culture says we need to be on, but it also allows us to plug into God, which is our source of peace and tranquility. In the Gospel of John, when Jesus is at the well with the Samaritan woman, he says to her, if you keep coming back and getting water from this well, you will find yourself here every day still thirsty. But if you drink of the water that I have to offer, you will find inside of you a never-ending spring that will quench your thirst. And so many of us have tried this the first way. And the question is, is that working for you? And maybe it's time we try it another way. And I can say with the utmost confidence that I have become more at peace as I have started to walk down this journey of slowing my life down. I left my job every day anxious. Um, there were many nights I had a hard time sleeping because I was stressed about work. But I can honestly say for about the past six months, I have had almost no anxiety over work at all. 
as Michael said last week, right, the very practice of making space in the li your life is going to shape you and change you. So slowing down makes an impact on you, and when you miss out, you're missing out on that change. But it's not just you, right? It's going to impact others. Now, I mentioned earlier that this parable works on multiple levels, and I think one other way that this parable functions is on a very practical level about just sharing meals with other people, people outside of our normal sphere. And you think, well, why would you say that's so literal if it's a parable? Well, just a little bit earlier in the same chapter we're reading, Jesus tells somebody to literally do this. He says, right, don't go out and invite your friends to your dinner party who will come and then in turn invite you to dinner because that will be your reward, just trading dinners with that person. Instead, go out and find someone, the outcasts, the people on the margins of society, and bring them in to dinner and develop relationships with them. And this is really important because it's obviously about justice and caring for others, but it's also about developing relationships, again, outside of your normal sphere of influence. And sharing those relationships over a meal shapes you and the other person. And so for the people with the good excuses in our parable tonight who missed out on the dinner, they aren't just missing out on being shaped by, for themselves. They're negatively impacting what others can experience by withdrawing from those relationships. There will be people at those dinner now that they will not develop relationships with and they won't be a part of that change. So if you don't buy into the fact that slowing down is going to have an impact on you and the way that Jesus can change you, then maybe you'll pay attention to the fact that failing to do so means you are failing to help others as well. My daughter, a couple of years ago when she was three, announced to me one afternoon, um, I'm, I'm a big girl now and I am gonna go for a Sunday afternoon drive and I'm gonna get myself a cup of coffee. Um, so let's set aside the fact there's no way that girl's going to like coffee. There are some very complicated things, even if we were terrible enough parents to say, yeah, you go ahead and go for a drive, right? She doesn't have a driver's license, so it's illegal, which is probably the least of her problems. The biggest issue is she just physically can't reach the pedals uh, to drive at the age of three. And the reality here is that even if you really want something, if you don't have the proper setup, it just can't happen. And so if we say we want to have an impact on other people's lives, we want to let other relationships in and see the people on the margins of society, but we aren't making space in our lives, we aren't making time in our lives, we may as well be saying, as a three-year-old, I want to go for a Sunday afternoon drive. It just won't happen. So missing out on the kingdom, it impacts you, it impacts others, and it very directly impacts the kingdom. I don't think we need to unpack this too much. I think, again, just come back to, I said, the kingdom is now. And so if you're waiting on what's yet to come, you're missing out on the here and now. And I promise you, our part to play in this story isn't just a matter of killing time until something happens after death. You have a role to play today. And you can imagine how different a play might be if some of the actors were just too busy to come on stage and play their part. So missing out impacts the kingdom. And so what can we do to not miss out? What can we do to make intentional time in the quiet to be alone with ourselves and with God? I want to just very briefly kind of offer some practices that help me remind myself to slow down. Um, these are by no means things I'm saying you should be doing. Some of these may not make sense for your life or you might be doing them already. Um, likely, many of them won't even, won't even be a fit for you. Um, but I can't speak to each of you individually, so I'm just going to share, again, what I've been doing on my journey and hopefully it sparks something in you um, to come up with your own ideas. Um, so I once heard someone say, when you struggle with holding on too tightly with something, you need to learn to start giving that away. So if your struggle is with money and you can't let money go, you need to learn to give away some money. 
Uh, for us, since we're talking about this tonight, and certainly a struggle for me, I hold on too tightly to time. How can I give away some of my time? So I try to look for ways to give up some of my time in small ways. A simple one for me is just when I'm waiting in line somewhere, often at the grocery store, you just look behind you. Is there someone behind you? You can say, you go ahead and take my spot. Normally, this would be wasted time for me, time I'm already thinking about the next place I need to go, but it's just a simple reminder to sort of push back against that urge. Um, so another one is just finding ways to allow for that boredom or that wasted time, time I would normally pop in those Bluetooth headphones and listen to some of the podcast or something like that, just allow that space to be empty instead. Another one is, and I, I'm sure some of you are going to cringe that I even bring it up, another one's social media, right? I'm not against social media. Uh, like so many things, I think it's a tool that has both positive and, and negative things that come out of it. Um, but just be honest with yourself. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand um, or share anything out loud. But on the whole, does your social media net you positive or negative outcomes? Do you walk away feeling more connected and uplifted? Or do you really walk away angry about that person's politics? You walk away jealous of that person's seemingly incredible life. Spoiler alert, it's not that great. Um, do you walk away frustrated and stressed? Or probably most of all, I think, do you just walk away feeling empty? Because what you're really trying to do is just kill five minutes until the next thing started, and so it's really just truly a waste of time. And so is it really bringing us much value at all on the whole? And all the while that we're multitasking and killing these minutes with social media, what are we missing? What dinners are we missing out on? Where is it causing us to live up to the very values we claim are so important to us. So what I've done is I've, there's no social media apps on my phone. I have a way to access them, but it's super inconvenient, so it makes it really hard, and I'm just really not on social media that much. Um, but, uh, and I do that with other apps too. Any app I find I'm spending too much time on, opening to kill time, I try to take those off my phone so that temptation just isn't there in your pocket. Um, same thing with my phone in general. I'm trying to find time each day. Um, when I'm eating a meal, I make sure my phone right now is not within arm's reach. And um, other pockets of time during the day, I can just set my phone down and walk away so I'm not thinking about it because it is so easy to just distract yourself with what's in your pocket with any spare second. So again, the point of these little practices isn't to be your time with God. This isn't the silence and solitude point. Um, it's not just to win back a few extra minutes each day that you can, you can have back in your, your time. It's really just to remind you that throughout May, or at least for me, to remind me throughout my days, I don't have to be in a rush. I don't have to be caught up in the pace that the world says I do. I can and I need to make space in my life. So as we're finishing up tonight, I just want to finish with a story about a, a study that was done. This was a study done at Princeton Seminary in the 70s. Um, and basically what it was is they got some seminary students and they said, we'd like you to put together a lesson on the Good Samaritan. I'm sure most of you are familiar, but just a quick overview if you're familiar or not familiar. It's a story about somebody who's hurt and in need, and several people pass by who should help that person, and they do not. And one person passes by who probably shouldn't help that person, and they do. And it's about what it means to care for your neighbor, right? And so they asked these seminary students, these people who are studying Scripture and the Bible all the time, and they asked them to put together a lesson to be evaluated. So they brought all the students together um, one at a time, and they gave different groups of students different instructions. Uh, they met in one building, and they were going to be evaluated in another. And so they sent them off one at a time. And for one group of students, as they sent them off, they said, um, you know, you've got a few minutes before you're supposed to be evaluated, but you probably just want to head on over there. Low hurry. They told another set of students, um, you know, um, it's time for you to be evaluated. You need to head over there now. Medium hurry. And then they told the last group of students as they left, um, wow, you're a few minutes late already. They're waiting on you. Go. High hurry. 
Okay? And so they sent these students off one by one, and between the buildings that they were being, from where they were to where they were being evaluated, they had staged a person to appear homeless, um, hunched over, in pain, coughing, clearly in need of help. And all they did was to see these students who are literally about to talk on and just thinking about the story of the Good Samaritan, how many of them will put into practice the thing that they're talking about? So the low hurry situation, right? Just head on over, you got a few minutes, 63% stopped to see if they could help this person. It's not great, it's a little over half. It's as good as we're gonna get, spoiler. <laughs> um, the medium hurry situation. Um, so nothing has changed, except that we've just given them a little bit more um, you know, impetus to get over there. It's a little bit, we're a little, light on, a little tighter on time. Drops almost 20% to 45% stop to help. The high hurry situation, you're late already. 10%, 10% stop to help. And so for students who are, who are thinking about this, they can't put it into practice just because they are busy. Just because they are busy, they won't put it into practice. And here's the thing that really breaks my heart every time I think about this. The place I learned about this study is while I was at seminary. And so all I can think is, this could have been me. More specifically, maybe this was me. Maybe they did a recent version of this study on my campus and I still have no idea because I was in such a hurry, I just walked right by somebody. Forget about the study, let's talk about real life, right? Sometimes people are obviously hurting like that actor, hunched over, coughing, sick, need of help, but most often people are hurting in ways we can't see unless we're really paying attention. And how many times in my life, how many times every day am I walking by someone because I am too busy to stop and notice that they're in need of help? How many times today did I walk by someone who needed me and I didn't stop to help because I was in a rush, because I killed 10 minutes doing something, listening to a podcast or something instead of giving myself the extra time. And so wrapping up, I just want to briefly uh, share one other passage from Luke 17. It's just a few chapters later. Uh, now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And so I'll ask those questions I asked at the beginning again. Are you taking time to notice and participate in the kingdom or do you have excuses? What is causing you to miss out? It's not easy in our culture to slow down. In a world that tells us we must do more than we're able, you're going to feel pressure when you live intentionally against the grain and purposefully choose less than you're able. Choosing to slow down means time for God to shape us and give us peace. Choosing to slow down means time for God to work through us and change the lives of others. Choosing to slow down means time for us to participate in God's kingdom. And this isn't going to happen overnight. Don't think you're going to wake up tomorrow and go cold turkey on hurrying. But start somewhere. Take those baby steps and, and keep working forward. Be very patient with yourself. Because the reality here is that whether we accept that dinner invitation or not, it's happening in our midst every day. Now join me for prayer. Uh, God, I thank you again for this evening. And as we go from here, Lord, I just, um, I pray you would open our eyes to where we're hurrying and where we could slow down and find that rest, that peace with you. It's in your name I pray.
Amen.